Hallelujah. Oh, the depth. Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has even been His counselor? Or who has... Who has given a gift to him that he might be able to be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory in the church forever and ever. Amen. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this time. Bless you, Lord. Thank you for this time of worship. We give you all the glory. Please be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn together with me to the book of Galatians in chapter 6. Galatians in chapter 6. And what we'll do is we'll read verses 1 and 2. Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Father, as we approach your word, we ask, Lord, that you give us hearts full of humility. God, I ask that you help me to be able to proclaim your word faithfully. I thank you for your people. And as we're gathered, Holy Spirit, we invite your spirit's presence and your power to rest upon this time. May this be a time in which we don't just simply tackle a subject, but that we encounter you through the pages of your word, the living God, by means of your Holy Spirit. We're desperate for more of you, God. And I'm asking that this time, this bit of time that we're about to devote here would be a time that would be impactful, not just for some, but for every one of us who are gathered here today. We thank you and we bless you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We've had an opportunity uh, for a number of weeks now to be able to go through this series that we entitled Why Church Matters. And today, uh, this Sunday is going to be the last Sunday um, of this series, and we're going to move on. In fact, let me just throw it out right now because I'm I'm pretty excited about it, and that is starting next Sunday, we're going to have a new series, but it's also going to be a new book of the Bible, and it's going to be in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, and I'm not sure how... um, Acquainted you are with the book of Ruth and how familiar you are with it, but in fact, I would just throw this out and encourage you to start between now and next week reading the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters, 87 verses, so it shouldn't be too much for you. And I know I've preached from the Old Testament, but I haven't preached through a book of the Old Testament, and so this is going to be a little bit of a treat, both for me and for you. And it's it's a fascinating book, and I believe you're going to find, like myself, a great deal that God has for us through that book of, of Ruth. 
And so just be in prayer for me, be in prayer for ourselves, as God's going to use that time of ours as we have a chance to go through, through the book of, of Ruth. For today, we're looking at um, a place of Scripture I'm not too sure if you're familiar with, but it's one in which deals with also why church matters. I'm not sure if this is a group where I've had a chance to share this illustration before, but if it is, um, forgive me. And it has to do with a, a story that's a, a bit fictitious, but actually communicates a real truth. And that is of a man who happened to be on a ship, only eventually to find that ship wrecked, landing on an island all by himself. And as he's been on this island all by himself for quite some time, alone, he was able to discover another ship at sea that happened to be approaching near, to which his initial response was to do everything he possibly could to alert this ship that was quite a ways away, but close enough to be able to see if he could light some fire, some indication that there's human life on this island, and so he does. And you can tell that this ship knew that somebody's on this island, and so the ship ends up making it to shore, only to come off of the ship to the beach, and they encounter each other. And he has his opportunity to share his whole story, how he ended up there. But the person being caught up on things could not help but look beyond the man to the island and notice three huts. And he says, look, I'm sorry, but I got to ask you, like, why, why the three huts, though? Oh, that hut, that's, um, that's my house. Your home. Okay, well, that explains one of them. What about the other two, though? Oh, the, the other one, that's, that's my church. Okay, we got two down, but how about the third? Oh, the third one, that's the church that I used to go to. Isn't it interesting that even when you're the lone congregant in a congregation of one, you can still choose to have a fight with yourself only to build another church? I know it is cause for a little bit of a chuckle, but there's a truth underlying that story, and that's this. A lot of times, maybe you can relate to this. I know this is true in my own case. It's very easy, it's very tempting anytime you face struggles and difficulties in your relationships, albeit marriage or relationships anywhere else or even in the church, that the temptation is to think that the problem always lies outside of you, that the problem is always with them, with him, with her. God, it's the woman you gave me, Adam said. It's always out there, external to us. We never bother to ask whether I may have contributed to the problem at all. And if we're going to arrive at any solution, it's not going to be by bailing on this relationship or bailing on this church only to build another hut. But it's going to be by doing the hard work and rolling up my sleeve and getting into the nitty-gritty of life and living with the people that I'm around and say, you know what? I'm going to be not just a part of the problem, but a part of the solution. I am that change that God wants to see. 
It's interesting because uh, not too long ago, a few weeks back, I was caught up in this DM conversation with someone who was about done with the church because of something that I had mentioned. And they're like, you know what? The church is just a full of bunch of hypocrites. And I said to which, you know what? You're probably right. We could use another one. (laughs) You know, a lot of times we think, you know what? I'm looking for a church. I'm looking for that perfect church. Because the ones I've been at, I'm just, I'm just not too sure because I see, I've seen too much to where I don't see why God would want me there. And so I'm waiting to find God's church. Well, let me know because I need to let them know that you're coming. You see, a lot of times we always are easily inclined to think that the solution is outside of us and the problem is outside of us especially only to realize that we are that church that we're talking about. And Paul here is dealing with the church matter. And because he loves this church, and because he has a heart for the church, he wants to make sure that these Christians understand how to handle the difficulties that exist when they find themselves around each other. All you got to do is be around the church long enough to be able to know. Church folk... Got issues too. Yes, I may be saved, but I'm still a work in progress. And if you're around me long enough, you're going to notice that I got feet of clay, just like the next man. Paul says here in the beginning of chapter 6, he addresses them as brothers and sisters. That's important because we're about to see an awful lot about sin and transgressions and brokenness. But he's writing to the church. These are Christians. So no matter what he learned about them, no matter what's been brought to his attention, in no way has it stopped him from calling them brothers and sisters. Because he understands that we're supposed to see each other the way God sees us. That your status as a saint or a beloved or a brother or sister is not because of you necessarily and what you've done in our doing. It has everything to do with who you are in Christ. And so he says here, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any sin or transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Notice here, this passage talks about the fact that it's going to happen. That if you're around the church long enough and you're going to be caught up in meaningful relationships where you're not going to just dip in and out, where you're actually going to get a chance to know some folk, who make up the church, you're going to find out soon, very soon, that they have struggles. And there's going to be one of two things that you're going to do when you encounter sin in the church, shortcomings in the church. And Paul wants to be sure that this is their response. When you catch someone who is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. I'm supposed to play this restorative role in your life, brother. And you're supposed to play this restorative role in my life, sister. You see, a lot of times when we, this works for marriage too. As soon as I'm alerted to struggles and brokenness and anything that's a shortcoming in your life, my tendency, I don't know about you, is to say I'm out. I hope they get that fixed, but you know what? I'm not going to bother. And he says, look. That's my role. That's my responsibility as a part of being in God's church. I know we say, I'm praying for you. I sure hope God gets through to you. Yes, we should pray. 
Yes, we should look to God. But notice the way in which God often works in people's lives. Through people. The person that's being sent to this person is another person. Another member of the church. And he says here something about the person who is caught. He calls him caught in any sin. Yes, there's sin in the church. The church should be seen as a hospital. People should not have to wait till they got their lives all together before they darken the doors of the church. And if we as a church give people that sort of impression, we need to repent, beginning with the pastor. And we need to make sure that we ourselves would not have a place in God's house were it not for the grace of God. What did Paul say? But for the grace of God go I. Not but for my performance, my track record, what I got going on over against the next man, but for the grace of God go I. He says here, look, this is important. Anyone who is caught in any transgression, which means it's not just like a little boo-boo. You didn't just get caught slipping and that's it. No, no, no. You're at a place in your life where you're, you're stuck. The word there, caught, actually is, is that of a, a bear trap. You've probably seen these before. They're, they're, they're ugly. They got teeth where as soon as the legs of that animal puts any weight on it, enough to where it senses it and it clamps in, it bites into the legs and actually cuts through them and into them to where this animal can't get out unless whoever it was that set up the trap initially actually opens it up for the leg to come out. And what he's saying is sometimes Christians could be caught in those kinds of sins. There's a sin where it's like my thoughts go places. I'm like, whoo, I'm glad it's only God who sees them. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Right? <laughs> yeah. And then there are other types, times where maybe I got caught slipping with my speech, but it was only a person or two or family who, who caught it. But I bounced back quickly. But then there are other times where, man, I knew I should have went off of the first cue. I should have listened to that first conscience. I should have heard that, that next voice. And then I had messages on billboards or somebody brought a verse. I'm like, God, you are confirming. But I kept resisting each and every one of those to where now I'm this far into the sin. And I didn't realize, man, is the beach that far away? And here I am now. I'm caught to where maybe over here, if I had responded to God's voice, I would have been able to pull away from it. But now I'm too far to where I by myself can't get myself out of this. Now it's biting. It's biting into my legs. And no matter how much I try, it almost feels like it's getting worse. What do I need at that point? Remember the series, Why Church Matters. I need other people. That's why. Yeah, there are some sins, as long as you could limit yourself to that, but you don't even know about that because the, the longer you go, even in that, that you think, I got it, I got it. I just pull them out every once in a while, anytime I need a little. But I got it in control. It's not going to stop me from church. It's not going to stop me from Bible study. It's not going to stop me from life. It's not going to stop me from preaching. It's not going to stop me from serving. It's just my little thing, you know. I just need to pull it out anytime I need. You know, when you get that void, you go to. We all got ours. And God says, there's only one relationship you need to have with sin, and it's war. Because I'm glad the Holy Spirit gave this to me. Remember what God told Cain? He says, Cain, what's the problem? Why is your face so down? He's like, what, what, what's the deal, Cain? What's going on? 
you you know you you could have you could have been blessed just like your brother. Because Cain realized the problem lied with him. It had nothing to do. He's like, I'm not going to let you dish this one off. And he says, sin is crouching at the door. The word there, crouch, is like a lion. It's like it's, it's just creeping up to you. It's like somebody who wants to just come up and catch you slipping and, and, and rob you. Sin is crouching at the door. It desires you, he says in Genesis 4. But you must rule over it, he says. He says, don't let it just hang around the front yard thinking it'll never get in. In the same way, that's how sin could be. But when it happens, what's my hope? My church, the people who love me, who won't allow me to be able to be lost and out that long. That's why there are a lot of people who need us, and we need one another. There are going to be times in which we're going to find ourselves in these exact seasons but because you've been a part of the church, you've been in community, you've been around God's people, you're going to be able to be blessed by the fact that you got a brother and you got a sister who loves you enough to do what for you. He says it. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Notice he, he not only describes this other person as one who's caught in a transgression, he talks about this other person who is spiritual. And there are some who, who look at that and they say, oh, see? I'm out. Spiritual. Sinless, right? Perfect. Got it together. No, that's not what it means by spiritual. Saying the person who has a responsibility to get involved in that other person's life to help them out ought to be a spiritual person. What does the word spiritual mean? Chapter 6 is within the context of the, the fruit of the Spirit. This is the very place, neighborhood, where we learn about what it means to not gratify the desires of the flesh, but instead walk by the Spirit. And when we do, all of the fruits of the Spirit manifest, love, joy, peace, and so on and so forth. And, and he goes on and he says, the person who is walking by the Spirit is a spiritual person. That's why Paul says, again in uh, Galatians 5, to keep in step with the Spirit. To be spiritual simply means to desire God's will for your life. It means to be someone who is yielded to the Holy Spirit, where you don't want to be in the driver's seat. You want God to be in the driver's seat, where you recognize your life in your hands is ruin, but your life in God's hand is blessing. To be spiritual simply means that you recognize that apart from him, John 15, 5, you can do how much? Nothing. That's what it means to be spiritual. You desire to trust God, to yield your life to God so that you can see him bless your life. That's what it means. The person who is caught in the transgression is missing that at that moment. It's not that they don't know anything about that. They just don't know anything about that at the moment. They're in a season, kind of like David in Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Why? He wasn't yielding himself to God during that season. He had sin in his life that he wasn't repenting of. That's why he goes on and he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You see, I want to know what it's like again to be that spiritual person. Not sinless, not flawless, not having it all together, but someone who genuinely believes that my life is far better off when it's God's hands than in my own hands. That's all. That person needs to move in to that person's life. That's what you need in your life. Let me ask you a question. 
what kind of people do you have surrounding you? Sure, you may have a struggle, and you may have a struggle that may take you down and out. But my question is, that may be fine. But what I'm saying is, unless you have the right people surrounding you, it's only going to go from bad to worse. Because not only are you in trouble, you're surrounded by people who are in trouble, and therefore there's no, nothing you guys could do that's going to help each other. It's the blind leading the blind, to use Jesus' language in Luke 6.39. But if you got the right people, there's no way in the world that we can all be struggling with the same thing. There's no way that we can all be in the same season. So when I'm down and out and I'm struggling, believing God's promises, holding on to his word, recognizing that he's still good despite you're there to be able to tell me things that I just can't quite at this moment tell myself. But if all I got are people who can't tell me what I need to be hearing in the seasons when I need them the most, I'm really in trouble. That's why the church matters. He says here they're spiritual people, and they're supposed to play this restorative role. I like that. You see, this is fisherman language. Maybe some of you are fishermen. I don't know if we got any fishermen. Any fishermen? But basically, during their day, they didn't have fishing rods. They had nets, these large nets. What they would do is they would cast them. They would cast them out, let them sit for a while, and they would gather them from both ends and pull them in. That's how you catch a lot of fish instead of just one at a time. But because they're at it so much, these nets have the tendency to tear at different places. Well, that defeats the purpose because as soon as you catch them, they slip out. And he says, that's how our lives are, Paul says. We have a tendency as we, as we live them to tear at different points. So God's word comes in on Sunday. You, you made it to church. The only problem is you forgot what you learned by Monday. You were amening on Sunday. But by Wednesday, you were doing the exact opposite. Wow, we, we got tears, you see. So it's not that the word doesn't come in you. It doesn't stay. It doesn't, you don't catch. For some of us, by the time we hit the parking lot, it's over. And God says, because I care about you and I love you enough, I send you my people, spiritual people. I want you to be in a community where even when you're caught in a transgression, there's a brother, there's a sister who could be there to play this sort of restorative role in your life. So, it's so that all of the blessings that God is depositing in your life stick. You ever been in that situation where you feel like you're on a treadmill or that hamster on that wheel? Or it's like, how could I be in so many Bible studies so many worship services, hear so much good preaching and teaching, read so many good Christian books, but I feel like I'm still at the same place. Let's check our nets. Let's check our nets. That's why you need your brother and your sister. The word also has to do with, and it's used outside of the Bible, for those who are athletes. From time to time, they would get a, um, a, a sprain in their leg or their leg would go out of joint and they would need a trainer or, or a sport medicine doctor to assist them, restoring their leg back to normal. But you needed a certain kind of a, of a person who knew how to handle. Anybody ever had Achilles heel or any sort of sprain? It's painful. And the last thing you want is someone who's not tender and careful because it's already hard as it is. So what you want is someone who not only knows how to restore, but knows how to take care of you while they're restoring. 
Similarly, in the church, we don't need a bunch of people who know how to call out sin. That's what Paul is saying. Some people are like, I'm qualified. I see it. (laughs) I see it. You're falling short. I see you. I know what your struggle is. And we, we have a lot of people who know how to police people in that way, but they don't know how to restore in this fashion. I don't need somebody who just who knows how to simply come up to me and let me know what's wrong with me. I need someone who knows how to handle me while they're letting me know what troubles them with me. That's important. To me, that makes all the difference in the world. In fact, he uses this language of end of verse 1. He calls it, the middle of verse 1, in a spirit of gentleness. I like that. Not only do you restore, you restore in a spirit of gentleness. Why is this important? Like I had said, one of the fruit of the spirits is not only love, joy, peace, it's also gentleness. So what that means is, as I am walking by the spirit, Galatians 5.24, as I am keeping in step with the spirit, God's fruit begins to manifest itself, right? My job is not to bear the fruit, like pop out. That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to know the mind of God. And I know the mind of God by spending time in his word because this is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. He inspired it. So if I ever want to know what the Holy Spirit's mind is, I need to spend time in the book. And the more time I spend in the book, the more of the Holy Spirit's mind I have so that I could now walk by the Spirit which means walk in accordance with God's will, which means walk in accordance with God's word. God's spirit and God's word are not opposed to each other. They're one and the same. Otherwise, I'm going to move around and just try to, how do I know that's me and how do I know that's God? The only way I can tell the difference between my thoughts and what I feel or think is it and what God is actually saying is by spending time in God's word. And as I do so, this fruit ends up getting born. Not only love and patience and kindness, but also gentleness. So that when I need to be involved in my brother's life, in my people's life, not only am I going to be about restoring them, I'm going to do so with this spirit, a spirit of gentleness. That's important. People who have a spirit of gentleness are people who, who know their own struggles well. I love when those kinds of people approach me when I need to hear something that may be hard, but it's what needs to be said. I hate when there are people who've forgotten and it's been a long time since they remember who they truly are. It just makes a a huge difference. Paul says here in the last part of verse 1, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. That's it. That's it right there. You see, Paul says, one of the ways in which you can be the kind of person people need in their life is by never forgetting who you are. The people who are most sensitive to their own sin and brokenness make the best people to approach someone who needs to hear something. It makes... All the difference in the world, when someone comes up to me and lets me know things, who appears like they got it all together and they never have any struggles and there seems to be no need ever for God in their own life, as opposed to the person who's well aware of their need as much as mine. 
Paul says here, you want to eliminate any self-righteousness? Just know that could be you. That's what he's saying. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. The only difference between you and that person who's presently caught in a sin is the grace of God. There's nothing to say that that can't be you is what he's saying. That could easily be you. Perhaps that was you and you've forgotten. You've forgotten. And God in his kindness sent him to you so that that could serve as a wake-up call and a reminder of where you used to be so that hopefully you might be some good, but apparently you've forgotten. Or maybe you've never been in a struggle like that, but you're failing to realize that could be you in the future. Wouldn't you want to make sure that how you handle this person, you handle them in such a way that were you to be in that same place down the road, you'd want to make sure that that person remembers how you first came to them. Jesus said in Matthew 7, make sure that you first take the speck out of your brother's eye before you remove what? The log out of your own. You know, I used to wrestle over that passage because... Why do you call it a speck in that other person's eye? What if it was a log? It probably was. But Jesus is saying this. He's saying, to you, it should be like a speck. When I, when I spend far more of my time fixated on other people and their problems and their brokenness than I do on my own, their issue always looks like a log and mine looks like a speck. Because I don't spend enough time with myself. You see, and Jesus is saying, that's what he's saying right there. He's saying, look, if we just gave an iota of time with ourselves before God, like we apparently are good at doing with others, we'd know that we got too much on our own plate to be busy dabbling in other people's lives, pointing out what's wrong with them. That's what he's saying. He's saying. And some of the people that make the best kind of people who actually need to address someone are the ones who spend far more time with themselves than they do with others. That's what Paul is saying here, I believe. He's saying the the kind of church that people don't mind, and I think this is it. A lot of times the reason why people don't want to be honest about what's going on in their lives, and they hide, and we don't ever find out until it hits the fan is because of what they discerned when they walked into the church. Like, ain't no way I'm ever going to tell these folks about what's going on in my life. Uh-uh, because I know what's about to happen. No way, no how. I'm keeping it between me and Jesus. He says, you know what allows an environment that doesn't endorse it, doesn't praise it, but doesn't judge it in a, in a cancel way? is this environment where we're prepared to know that we are here for each other. And we recognize that you may be the one sharing this with me, but I got five more stories to tell you (laughs) about myself. When that exists, there's an environment and a culture that can be truthful about sin, but at the same time gracious and restorative and redeeming toward others. And I'm afraid we got like two different kind of churches, and you almost got to go to different churches to get any one of these when both of them should be found in the same church. So we got the truthful truth churches where they come down on sin, 
and they let you know it, and they tell it like it is. But it hasn't really been redemptive in any sort of way. Yes, they're quoting the scripture rightly, and they are saying God's word, but it's all truth. And then we got those other churches that are all affirming. Just come as you are. Just not only come as you are, remain as you are. And it's all good, you know, grace. You know, God, man. You know, it's just God. You know. And that's how we are. And I think God is trying to say it should be when we speak the, speak the word to one another, Ephesians 4, speak truth in love. Speak the truth in love. It's not truth. Don't be just a truth church, but don't be just a love, each, love church. Love needs definition. Love needs, we need theology. We need, we need the Bible to support it. Otherwise, everybody's talking about love. Well, what do we mean by that? You see? We need to be prepared to make sure that we're loving each other in the way that God would want us. And we want to make sure that we're being truthful. Both and, not either or. Both and. Lastly, he sums it all up and he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's how he wraps this up. Bear one another's. You could almost see this verse as a head title verse for that passage. He's not saying something different. The burden is the transgression that the person is caught in. You see, he says, he doesn't say run away from each other's burdens. He doesn't say destroy each other and condemn each other for each other's burdens. No. He says bear one another's burdens. He doesn't say laugh at each other, ridicule each other, shame each other for each other's burdens. No, bear one another's burdens. He doesn't even say give the burden to God. Give the, your burden to your sister and to your brother. You see, what we need to understand is this. God is the great burden bearer. If the gospel is anything, it's this, that Jesus came into this world, lived a sinless and a perfect life, in order to go forward to a cross where he would ultimately bear the world's burden of sin and guilt and shame on his own shoulders on the cross. One of the ways in which I can find the power and the motivation or even the incentive to lean into my sister's life and not run away after I find out what's going on, to lean into my brother's life, and still be there after I know what they're going through is the fact that the great burden bearer came one day, 2,000 years ago, ago, and bore my greatest burden once and for all. He lifted it. We should, what enables us as a church to bear one another's burdens is the fact that we must have first experienced Christ bearing our burden. If I don't ever know what it means for Jesus to bear my burden, I'm going to be Two things. One is, I'm going to be frightened by your burdens when you share them with me. That's one. And I'm going to run away. Or I'm going to be ruthless and merciless and self-righteous and pharisaical toward you when you share your burdens with me. That's usually what happens. But the gospel destroys all of that. I cannot fault you. I cannot, knowing who I am outside of the grace of God, Knowing who I am, if I were to be viewed standing outside of Jesus, there's no way in the world I can write you off. I'd be a fool. And at the same time, I don't know if I would be able to live with myself if I ran away from you after you shared with me a burden that's too great for you to bear all by yourself. 
when the one who came, who had every opportunity to run away from me, the more he became aware of me. And yet he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even after this struggle, even after knowing about this, even after seeing this, lo, I'm with you always. He's the God who will never, him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. The Bible says that Jesus is, is a bruised reed he would not break. A bruised reed, even a bruised reed he wouldn't break. That's how gentle he is in how he restores you. A smoldering wick, it goes on to say, he wouldn't even put out, the text says in the Gospels. Christ knows how to care for us. He's the great restorer. You see, this restorative work is not resting on us, it's, it's resting on Jesus. And Jesus, through his Spirit and by his Spirit, through his church, through his people, is working that restoration. We, as it were, are being used by him. We're his hands and his feet in each other's lives. So as we yield to the Holy Spirit and avail ourselves to people, remember how I first started? How do you walk into church? Remember I was talking about how you need to pray about where you're going to sit because you're going to find out stuff about the person as you get to know about them. Now here we're at, I need to find out that I can't dish your burden off to just somebody else. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, Cain, you are. I'm my sister's keeper. I'm supposed to come alongside you now and bear your burdens. And when I do, I fulfill the law of Christ. This is what God wants for his church. Not to go build another hut like we heard in, in the initial introduction. But to say, you know what? I don't care what's going on in his life or her life. I'm here. I'm here for you. However long it's going to take, I'm with you. I'm there to support you. And whatever bearing your burden is going to look like. Bearing burdens does not mean enabling. It doesn't mean that you're excusing. Sometimes bearing your burden is going to mean I'm going to have to tell you some things that you may not like to hear. Other times, bearing your burden is going to mean that I'm going to have to love covers, Peter says, a multitude of sins. But in any case, the way you and I know, church, is by being yielded to the Holy Spirit. It's by being spiritual people. Spiritual people who are ready to follow God's lead. Because I don't know what you're going to need at any given moment in your life. But as long as I am yielding myself to the Holy Spirit and making it a habit to know how to keep in step with Him, I'm going to know. Jesus said, I will tell you. The Holy Spirit will come and He will give you the words that you need to say to your brother and your sister. This is the church that God wants for His people. Not a church that runs away as soon as you find out and not a church that's ready to write people off as soon as they learn but a church that's ready to roll up the sleeve and say, you know what? Let's get started. Now that I know this, I'm here. God didn't save me just so that I can have a heaven to go to when I die. God saved me so that I can have a, a body to belong to while I live. And that body is messy. That body is in need of work. That body has issues. That body is a work in progress until either Jesus returns or we go to be with him. And until then, if Jesus has stuck it out till now with his church, how on earth can I give deuces to the church?
if the God of the universe, the one who has every right to be able to turn his back on the church being holy, is still with his church, how in the world could I be done with the church? So my prayer is that this would not just be true about our good God, but that character would work itself out in each and every one of our lives. And we would begin to see more of this Christ-likeness in us and even through us as we relate to one another and learn more about each other's story and how we can be better there for one another. Father, we want to come before you at this moment we're humbled by your grace. Lord, we're desperate for you. We can't accomplish this all by ourselves. We know that this is a work that your spirit needs to produce. When one member of the body suffers, Paul said, we all suffer. And so, Lord, help me, help us, help my brother, help my sister bear one another's burdens. We thank you for your church as she is. Not until she starts looking the way we want her. No. If you received your church as she is, so do we. But help us to also be a part of the solution in our brother and our sister's life. May the gospel shine forth. May it grip us. May it get a hold of our hearts so that we neither, number one, out of fear, run away from what we learn is going on in the church, or two, end up becoming pharisaical and crushing people under the weight of our judgment. But rather, may we be you to one another. We thank you for these things and trust that you're at work. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name.